Welcome to the Binge Your Bum Podcast with Ellen Sherman and Gillian Gordon. It's award season. I, for one, yeah. I'm, I'm proud to say that I never watch the award shows. I find them just repugnant. Do you like them? I mean, the only reason I watch it is for the red carpet, let's face it. Nobody looks comfortable. Everybody looks awkward. Who cares? Yeah. Why am I watching? You know? Yeah, no, exactly. Who cares? I don't care. I, I'm with you on that completely. I, and I would say get rid of the royal family. Get rid of award shows. <laughs> uh, you know something? I never put those two together. Somehow they're just a perfect match. It's all the I, same. I so appreciate it. <laughs> anyway, so here we are. Welcome to Binge or Bomb. We are on episode, where are we? Episode 11? Are we on episode 11 already? Yeah. Yeah. Yay yay, yay, yay us. Today we have The Tunnel, which is another iteration of the incredible Scandinavian show, uh, The Bridge. We also have Inside Man, which is an English thriller, and Slow Horses, which is based on the incredibly best-selling series of books by Mick Herron, and that is also an English thriller. So let's get started. Coming up next, The Tunnel, a British-French co-production on Apple TV or Prime Video. You know, I was blown away by The Bridge, which was the Swedish-Danish co-production when it landed on our screens. I think it was back in about 2011. When the remakes started coming, I, you know, I turned away from them. I said, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh, not for me. So I kind of reluctantly came to the tunnel only because you made me watch it. Yes, I did. I did. (laughs) I absolutely, Um, I bludgeoned it into you. I realized that I dismissed it far too easily. You know, I guess I'm one of those snobs who always likes the original better. But I have to eat my hat right here today, eating my hat. (laughs) The Tunnel, which is the UK-France version of The Bridge, which is three seasons, superbe, superbe, fantastique. (laughs) And it's just the sort of show, I mean, I really like to watch this time of year when it's all gray and grim and lila. So for those of you who have seen the original Bridge, you'll find that the first season of the tunnel is very, very meticulously the same. And it's a real treat. That's all I can say. So it's set in this very strange world, really dark worlds of Calais and Dover. The sun never shines there. And then we have this amazing phenomenal thing, the Euro tunnel. Have you been on the Euro tunnel? No, I've never been. Well, it's fabulous. I mean, I've been on it with a car, I've been on it, you know, on the train, but again, weird, (laughs) you know, it's really, (laughs) anyway, what happens is they find a body cut in half straddling the international border. The French cops show up, the English cops show up, and you see the tension and rivalry between the two. So we're introduced to Stephen Delane, who plays Detective Chief Inspector Carl Roebuck, an aging British detective used to getting his own way. And Clemence Poésie, who plays the Capitaine, who a French detective who is you know, exact opposite to Roebuck. She's really brilliant, but has little capacity to read people or has no normal human uh, interactions. It seems she's on, you know, she's, this is definitely somebody that's on the spectrum. So people say that. So I'm not entirely sure what that means. Um, Um, I think she exhibits Asperger's and I think she even cops to it almost. Yeah. Yeah. Without being defined. Yes. And her English counterpart, obviously played by the rumpled Stephen Delane has many children and relationship problems. Um, he's really good with people. 
And she just tells them honestly what she thinks, which is not exactly. And it's interesting because somebody had noted, and I think it's really an interesting distinction, mm-hmm. is that she is incapable of lying because of her particular idiosyncrasy. Yeah. She's incapable of lying. And to some degree, his life is riddled with lies, we will find out. And deception. So it's a, yeah. And deception. And it's very interesting how they each deal with that dichotomy in the yeah. other. Yeah. They grudgingly discover that in spite of their differences, they actually make a fantastic team. I, you know, I really always admired Stephen Delane's work in the theater, but I never really thought of him as someone who was going to be a screen star, but he really steals mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the tunnel. Yeah. He kind of steals it, I think. I mean, not to say that Clemence Poesy is a wonderful actress and gorgeous to look at. And it's interesting to me is that they, over the three seasons, and please do watch the three seasons, both of them evolve as characters Mm -hmm. and therefore their relationship evolves and in a very, I thought, really organic way, given that they are so very different, but their appreciation of each other, a gradual appreciation. Yeah, and and really a deep friendship and bond without being sexual. I mean, I think that's what's refreshing about it too. As we said, season one is pretty much the same as The Bridge. Season two is not, it's completely different. It's it's Mm -hmm. not like the original. And I think that The thing that I liked about it was that it brings you realistic stories from people trafficking. I mean, this world of Calais and Dover, airline terrorism we see. We see religious murder, weird, creepy, kind of Nazi-inspired chemical stuff. I really was impressed by the bizarreness of the plot. Yes, it turns. It's really creepy (laughs) on so many levels. And then the third season continues and deepens the central pairing of the two characters. And I don't know how to say this without giving too much away, but it does become a bit ridiculous. I I felt in the third season, the Um, the plot was a little. They were all bit. It was all. Everybody's a bit too crazy. Everybody was too evil. Season two and three. Part of the thing is that they are taking you in twists and turns. That yeah, they can. They do connect, but it's a real stretch to believe that these things are connected. You know, there was enough there, in my opinion, in terms of the characters and the character stories, because they've got more complex as we've gone. Mm. You know, um, he's changed. She's actually been demoted in by the I third season. That was and that, very interesting, and that was really interesting. Well, she's demoted herself. She demoted herself. That's right. You know, which is. Really bizarre, you know, and that says a lot about her character. Season three is is still really worth watching. It's just that with you know with that added, uh, I'm not so sure about some of these plot things. Give them that in season three because they were so amazing in season one and two. So uh, yeah, okay. I think I think also the thing to commend the show is that it goes into emotional paces that 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 most shows don't. Go. Um, I would say that the tunnel is a really, really satisfying watch, but also a surprise because when you have a show as successful as The Bridge was, the the, the Danish Swedish co production, and you have a character which was the Saga Norn character played by Sophia Helen, you think I, you know, she's the best, and 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 I actually still feel that she's the best. Uh, I like the Clemence Posey. But I, I but I have to say she grew on me. She is a very good actress. Yes. And her face is absolutely divine, isn't it? She's I so mean, beautiful. And of course, there's so much because she's supposed to be somebody that with little affect. Yeah. The slightest thing, if that's a real feat for an actor to pull off a character that's not supposed to have any 
emotional affect in their face and yet to, for you to care about her and care with her struggles because she struggles in the most subtle way to be quote unquote normal to have relationships i thought it was just beautiful the way they developed this. So, so what do you think <laughs> oh my god so happy to say it's a huge binge for me and this was the second time i had watched it i really loved seeing it again so that's a that's a big that's a big thing so it's a binge for me and you well, thank you for forcing me to watch it. Oh, I mean, having been so uppity about nothing could be better than the bridge, I have to say that the tunnel was an absolute binge. And now, the British spy drama, Slow Horses, on Apple Plus. Surrounded by losers, misfits and boozers, hanging by your Slow Horses is the first in a series of eight very popular books by a writer named Mick Heron and has a huge fan base, including Mick Jagger, who not only wrote the theme song, but sings it. So it's got it's, a, it's great. Yeah, Fantastic. isn't it? <laughs> I yeah. mean, I don't know about you. I kept on thinking they couldn't have gotten Mick Jagger. There must be a Mick Jagger look. He wrote it, right? Yeah, yeah, he wrote it and performs it. So Slow Horses is an espionage thriller about a group of Britain's MI5, that's the Secret Service, a rejects, who despite their superior's edict that these rejects, who are working for MI5, but in a very off-site location and on tedious mm-hmm. paperwork, uh, despite the edict from their superiors that they are not supposed supposed to go out and effectively work on real cases, decide to take matters in their own hands and in their own inimitable and very eccentric way, decide to solve cases on their own. So they're working in this ramshackle office. And the office block is called Slough House, which refers to a part of England called Slough, which is apparently, according to Gillian, you described it so beautifully. How awful is Slough, Gillian? Well, Slough, this is it's sort of a horrible joke, you know, and God, you know, apologies to people who live in Slough, which I'm sure is a, it's a perfectly fine suburb of, <laughs> of London. But, you know, it, it's supposed to be the most unhappy, miserable town in England, so... And these are not happy people, these agents. No. Okay, well, worse, they work under a legendary once top-notch agent named Jackson Lamb, who is brilliantly played by Gary Oldman. He's frequently drunk. He's slovenly. He's really, his office is disgusting. He loves to lives to verbally humiliate these misfit agents, um, albeit with commentary that for me, you know, is the perfection. It's the soul of British wit. Uh, one of my favorite lines is when he's trying to trying to teach one of the agents something and they don't get it at all. And he looks at him and he says, trying to explain this to you is like trying to explain Norway to a dog. And I thought, I've never heard anything so delicious. And the first episode of the first season opens with a scene from the recent past when a young MI5 agent, River Cartwright, is seen running through an airport. He's being observed on a room full of screens by his superiors, and he's apparently trying to take down a terrorist. However, he bungles this task, and that sends him off to Slough House. As it'll turn out later, it's not exactly as it seems, his bungling of this, but he's there nonetheless. And the story kicks into high gear when, with the kidnapping of a British-Pakistani student by a domestic terrorist group who threatened to behead him. And against upper management directives, 
River and the other slow horses go off the reservation and into their own mission to save the student. And what they come to understand is that they are up against not only unhinged terrorists, but also their own MI5 superiors and devious politicians. They have to say that it was the characters that really got me and Gary Oldman standing out among them. Really- yeah, but what happened to Gary Oldman? I mean, he used to be like this kind of well, skinny, hot one, right? edgy guy. And now he's this like really gross, fat, farting, you know, <laughs> asshole, really, excuse my language. He plays a jerk. I mean, on the other hand. Oh, you know, but a brilliant jerk. Very witty jerk. Right. You know, he says, this is like the lowest. These these people are the lowest of the low. They're the bottom. They're losers, but they're my losers. I love that line. I think he's brilliant. And I think oh, he's always brilliant. He, when he's on the screen, he, he well, he's gross. He's really gross in this. And and, and he obviously smells really bad because whenever he goes into anybody's office, they're always getting, <laughs> like, you know, and he's but proud he's, of his, his farts, by the way. That's what's that's what's really wonderful. But he just loves them and he loves, you know, inflicting them on the rest of the staff. But he's super clever. He seems to be ahead of everybody. I mean, but on the other hand, it doesn't seem particularly helpful to his team that he seems to know everything ahead of them. I mean, I found that a bit weird. Well, the part of it is that sort of world-weary nature. He's been there, done that. And so the only thing, justification I could find for why he doesn't sort of jump in and try to save everybody a whole lot of trouble, because he seems to know where it's all going, you know, is that it tickles him. To see everybody spin their wheels, I don't know. It's, it's, it's he's a very perverse. But character. what's the point of what's the point of what they're doing? Because they basically are screw ups, so they never get it right. A lot of them were not uh, exiled there because of something they screwed up doing, as far as their job was concerned. So they do actually wind up being the ones that solve the mystery in at least the first uh, several books that I read and, and episodes. And and then I really enjoy the relationship that the Gary Oldman character has with Kristen Scott Thomas's character, who, as you just said, is the second desk, which puts her second in command. And obviously she's very ambitious. She wants to be the head of MI5. And, and she's got these guys over at Slough House who just seem to screw everything up. But on the other hand, sometimes they're very good at their job. What you find out is that Gary Oldman seems to have something in almost everybody, which he doesn't use, but he holds over them, which is one of the reasons that Slough House continue, will continue to exist, is that there are so many layers of his character that we don't know about, which uh, become revealed. And Gary Oldman still is very connected to all of his old Joes, isn't he? And yeah. one of the things that pisses him off the most in the second season is that one of his Joes is killed. And that nobody and that nobody seems to care really, you know, or yeah. certainly certainly Kristen Scott Thomas doesn't. But as you were saying, when he talks about his slough house people, they're my, you know they're losers, but they're my losers. This was his Joe, you know, Joe being the name for a an, you know an agent on in the field, and and that was what he was. He was his background is that he was in Berlin before the wall fell. I found it interesting how in this in season two that that came back, that the residents yeah. of the Cold War came back. I thought that was rather clever. Yeah, well, I th- yeah. I mean, I, I, I have to say, 
I sort of preferred the second season to the first season and maybe oh, yeah. because I saw the first season quite a long time ago. And I, But I think that maybe they've settled more into their parts. And I think the thing I like about Slow Horses is it's a little bit different. It's a little bit strange. It's a little bit edgy. So for you, it was... A huge, huge damage. <laughs> They've already ordered, and I think they're in production on uh, season three and four. Uh, and I would urge everybody, as I've urged Gillian, uh, you know, if you like this at all, you should read uh, the books because they really are, they, it's really masterful writing and masterful mystery writing. And for you? For me, it is a binge. It's not a major binge for me, but I would say it's really worth watching. And also because of some of the brilliant witty lines. Coming up next, another British thriller, Inside Man. Inside Man is a BBC Netflix thriller, which is about two men. One is a criminologist on death row. It's something of an evil genius. He's sitting on death row in Texas. And the other is a seemingly popular, very attractive Church of England vicar who resides over a church in a lovely town in uh, England. And he faces a moral dilemma as to whether he should kill a perfectly innocent woman who threatens his family. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really two intertwined morality tales told in a kind of dark comic manner, although it has sort of thriller aspects. And of course, that's what I found. Confusing. <laughs> I didn't find anything funny about it, but <laughs> so we'll, we'll, we'll discuss that. Now, this starts off with the brilliant reptilian Stanley Tucci, who is the aforesaid criminologist, and he's on death row for brutally killing his wife. He's beheaded her. And for reasons unexplained, he's also doing his own version of community service because the warden seems to allow families to come in and consult with him on unsolved murders in their lives. Also, didn't anyone see Silence of the Lambs? Did they not think that they had borrowed a huge plot? Well, unfortunately, they watched it too often, I think. On the other side of of the Atlantic is Harry Watling, who's a hip young English vicar played brilliantly by David Tennant with a really thankless part. And his only trouble is that he has a parishioner who is into kitty porn. When this parishioner comes to visit him, trying to save him from his own self, the vicar confiscates uh, his fla- the uh, parishioner's flash drive, which contains the kitty porn, and takes it home. And there stands his teenage son, Ben's tutor. The vicar leaves the room, again, for reasons unbeknownst to anybody. The tutor somehow manages to watch what's on the flash drive. Not only does she see the kitty porn, but she assumes that this kitty porn belongs to Ben. When the vicar comes back in the room, rather than tell her who it really belongs to, he somehow thinks it's a good idea to say that it doesn't belong to his son, it belongs to him. So now she's faced with a vicar who is into kitty porn, and she threatens to go to the police with this. Now, rather than at this point stopping everything and telling her exactly what's going on, the vicar decides to throw her in the basement. Again, I have no, no clue why, except he thinks he's saving his family from the police. And his wife comes back, and then they decide, rather than to clear up this mess, they decide that they're going to find a way to kill her. But But also, we're intercutting with Stanley Tucci, the Hannibal Lecter kind of wannabe. Right. He's not allowed to use paper and pen. However, he seems to have a cell phone available to him at any time of the day or night. So this is just one of the many 
great plot holes. The only thing that links these two, the criminologist on death row and the vicar with the tutor in the basement, is an investigative journalist who meets the criminologist because she's interviewing him. The reason that she interconnects with the English vicar is that somehow she's magically in England when we start and meets the tutor at a train station. So those are the all and the and the tutor, you know, disappears for a few days and she goes to our criminologist and says, my friend is missing. Help me solve this crime. This is where I have, you know, serious problems. I mean, first well, of all, yes, I don't I don't buy for a second this journalist because and, and also she turns out to be incredibly corrupt because she she'll do anything for an interview with Stanley Tucci, the horrible murderer. Hence the title Inside Man, because that's his whole uh, his whole premise is yeah. that within everybody is an inside man who is capable of murder. And that was interesting. You know, so we think, oh, wow, we've got Stanley Tucci in prison. We've got David Tennant in who's a, one of our favorite actors in England, you know, playing a minister who is clearly ethically perverse. And then somewhere along the line, somebody in the writer's room said, oh, we have to get this together. So let's get that journalist character who seemed completely false and not believable at all uh, to, to go between the two. That's my biggest problem with this. None of it made any sense. I didn't. I did not understand whether she was in England or in Texas. The only reason I knew if she was in Texas is because she was in a jail. She was in a in a prison uh, um, waiting room waiting for her interview. Somehow she magically pops back into England, and there's no indication of her travel. She just sort of appears there. So she's totally unbelievable. And her the reason she's in this story to begin with is unbelievable. She met this woman Janice like once. And exchange phone numbers with her. And all of a sudden, this is her reason for being. She's she's dedicated to solving this crime. Did you believe for one second the whole premise of this, which is that the vicar would not tell her the truth about whose flash drive this was when she first confronts him? And as a minister's daughter... I was shocked and horrified. Well, you have a certain, you have a vested interest in this. <laughs> yeah, but but seriously, I, I I think that we have these two worlds, and it's intriguing the idea of the inside man, the man who's in prison, who is the the cold blooded murderer. You know, he's he's a better person than this Church of England minister. Really. Even though, even though the beheading of the wife did not bother you ethically, I mean, it was a cleaner crime, but still. Here's a man who's supposed to be, you know, ethically, ethically correct, morally sound, and here's a man who's unethically correct. Oh, what a conundrum! So funny. I see it totally differently. I see that the uh, Stanley Tucci character was solving these mysteries for these families, not out of any feeling of giving back to the community, but because it amused him. And because no, I, that, I didn't because, say it was giving back. I think well, but you really, said, really but you felt that he was ethically more. He was more ethical in a yeah, way. Yeah, he he he, he has and greater I, insight into the meaning insight. of ethics and moral. But I, Stanley Tucci knew knows right from wrong, yes, and that's he, what's interesting about the character. So maybe you know, maybe there's something to that. I suppose that was the problem with the David Tennant character is I didn't feel he was making non-ethical decisions, I felt he was making panicked decisions. So I was watching a character who was just careening, was bouncing off the walls. Had I thought that he was making a considered decision, I would have viewed him as the polar opposite of Stanley Tucci. 
who had made a decision and took responsibility for it. But the performances and the direction and what they gave the David Tennant character to do so put me off him that I could not see clearly that that blue line. He is supported by his wife in in this behavior. And you go, really? She's crazier than he is, you know. Uh, The only one, the only sane person that whole household is Janice downstairs, the tutor locked in the basement. Inside Man, I think for a certain viewer, would have a lot of fun with it. You know, well, I think. I, listen, I know people who really liked it. Really? Well, yeah. I want to hear about those people. Talk to, because I'd like to know how they got past the plot holes. I was just gobsmacked. I, I think couldn't... they were asleep. So this is the company that brought you Sherlock. Yes, and Doctor Who. He wrote Sherlock. It's a crazy story. What did you think? What do you I, think? I cannot, you know, even though it was only four parts. I could not recommend this. It is a thriller. It does go snappily along. But if, you know, if you like your plot tight, this is kind of a ridiculous exercise. So I I have to give it a bomb. Well, I feel the same way. Um, I I think it's disappointing to see two big, big television stars like Stanley Tucci and and David Tennant, who you you think, wow, I'm going to watch this. And then to come up with this really ridiculous plot. So I would give it a bomb. Uh, Next, we're going to be looking at series four of Fada, which many of you may have been following previously. The Israeli series, Bella Squadron P.I., which is a Mexican detective series set in the 70s. And an Australian series called Glitch. See you next week. And let's talk about it.